as you trust in him. Amen. This morning, as we look at the words of our gospel, we hear Jesus say what we just sang. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Dear Christian friends, fellow believers, I am. Now, when you hear me say that, you're waiting for me to finish my sentence, aren't you? I'm leaving you hanging there. You're wondering, what is he going to say? Because that's how it works for us. As human beings, we say, I am, and then we have to explain what we are, what that means. So, all right. I am Brian Schmidt. I am a friend of your beloved pastor, his wife, and family. I'm from Wisconsin, the far southeastern corner, this place called Caledonia. It's really close to Lake Michigan, right between Milwaukee and Racine. It's quite nice, although I must say this, I am rather enjoying California. <laughs> you might have noticed I found a sunburn yesterday. I managed to get that by only being outside for about a half hour. I, it just kind of happened. So I had to text my wife and say, I have seen the sun. This is great. We haven't seen the sun in quite some time. I am rather privileged, humbled, and honored to be here today to worship you, or to worship with you, excuse me, and to be here around God's word. This is quite an opportunity for me. But who are you? So let's start over here. No, I'm just kidding. We won't do that. We can do that afterwards. <clears throat> We're going to go a little deeper. When I ask who are you, I'm going to throw some words out, and my guess is you'll be able to relate to maybe some of them. Are you worried? Maybe it's worried about a loved one and their physical condition. Maybe it's worried about a loved one and their spiritual condition. Or maybe you are hurting. Maybe someone betrayed your trust. A friend, maybe even a spouse. And maybe, so if you're hurting, that has led to another thing, which is maybe you are angry. And that's hard to carry anger around, isn't it? Or maybe you are confused. You look at the world that we're living in right now, and it's a crazy place, and it maybe causes some confusion. Or maybe all the messages, even the spiritual and religious messages that are out in our world today, have led you to be confused. Maybe you're anxious fearful. Maybe you got a few more miles put in on this earth and maybe you're just kind of ready to be done with it all and ready to go be with Jesus. You put all those things together and I would say you are in good company because the disciples felt the same way. As the disciples are here with Jesus in that upper room, it's Maundy Thursday, and the Apostle John gives us such a cool glimpse into that upper room of Maundy Thursday, the day that Jesus was betrayed and arrested more than any of the other gospel writers. Tells us about a lot of the things Jesus said to them while they were there in that upper room. And as Jesus looked at the disciples, the way he assessed their hearts was that their hearts were troubled. The Greek word that's used for trouble there has this idea of being tossed back and forth in some nasty, turbulent waves. So you say things like worried, anxious, hurting, 
angry, or as Jesus says, troubled, tossed about. What led the disciples to be that way? Well, just before this upper room experience, Jesus had told them, now the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And he was explaining to them that he would have to die, and he would suffer before that at the hands of the chief priests, teachers of the law, the Romans. And then they're there in the upper room, and Jesus is telling them, one of you is going to betray me. Hmm. And then Jesus says to Peter, you are going to deny knowing me. Hmm. And their hearts were troubled, tossed about. So how does Jesus calm their troubled hearts? How does Jesus calm your troubled and tossed about hearts? By declaring to them some amazing words that start with that phrase, I am. Now to understand what Jesus is saying here when he says I am, we're going to actually start at the end of our text and work our way backwards. Okay, remember I'm from Wisconsin, so maybe that's how we do things there. We'll work our way backwards. But Jesus says, I'm also a pastor, I don't do adding and counting too good, but I think he says I am six times in this section of John's Gospel. I am. And when the disciples heard that phrase, they should have immediately thought of what happened at the burning bush with Moses, way back in the book of Exodus, where God introduces himself to Moses and says, I am who I am. Now when God says I am, he doesn't have to add all kinds of stuff after it to explain himself. He just is. He's the eternal God who hung the universe into place, who breathed the breath of life into man. This is God. He just is. And later on in the book of Exodus, God expands on what that means a little more as he tells Moses, and he's told all of us, he is a God who deals with sin because he is a just and holy God, but he's also a God of love and mercy because he is a God who forgives sin. This is the great I am. That special name for God used throughout the Old Testament, often in your English Bibles, it's Lord, all caps. Now, my wife texts me something in all caps. That means it's important. You better not forget this. So when God uses all caps in the Old Testament, Lord, that's an important name. Don't forget this one. It's a special name for a lot of God's saving activity in the Old Testament. Now think of some of the things he did leading his people out of slavery in Egypt through the Red Sea in dramatic fashion, in the wilderness for 40 years, brings them into the promised land. And throughout this time, you're seeing those two sides of God, aren't you? That he is just and holy and deals with sin, but also that he is loving and merciful. He forgives sin. He demonstrated this to his people over and over again in the Old Testament. When he finally brings them into the promised land because of their sin, he pretty much destroys the place and the people are carted off to a faraway land. But remember, he is also a God of love and mercy. And so he brought his people back to that promised land to set the stage for Jesus to come into this world. That's the great I am. And all of those Jewish people at the time of Jesus would have known exactly what Jesus was saying when he says, I am. He's connecting himself to the saving God of the Old Testament. And he's saying, that's me. I 
am God. And so he says things like, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. In other words, we are God. We work together. It's that mystery of the Trinity, isn't it? And this is our Savior Jesus, who is there to calm the troubled hearts of his disciples, hearts that are tossed about in the waves. And it's the same God, the same Savior Jesus, the great I Am, that comes to you today in word and sacrament to calm your troubled hearts as well. And Jesus even says, look at the things I've done that demonstrate that I am. Turned water into wine, healed the sick, the blind, the lame, calmed storms, walked on water, drove out demons, brought people back to life. This is our Savior Jesus, the God who is the great I Am. And for you, He is the way. He's the truth. And He's the life. So when your hearts are tossed about in those turbulent waters, remember that every time you run to Jesus, who are you running to? Your God and your Savior, who is that great I Am. Now when Jesus says he is the way, what does that mean? It helps to understand the way that Jesus had to go. And the way that Jesus had to go, as we teach it in catechism class, you've got his humiliation and you've got his exaltation. His humiliation when he humbles himself and takes on human flesh and walks on this earth and goes about his ministry, living a life in our place that satisfies God's demand of being perfect and holy because we can't. And so Jesus does all of that. He goes to the cross willingly, bearing all of our sins. This is the way of his humiliation, isn't it? As he suffers pain. And I would say that the way that Jesus had to walk really went right to hell and back again because he hung on the cross and cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that is where Jesus experienced the full wrath of God's eternal punishment for sin. But he did it in our place, didn't he? So that we wouldn't have to. And then, as Jesus gave up his life to death, right before that he said, it's finished. I've taken care of your sin. It's gone. And he gives up his life to death. And then, he actually goes right back to hell again. But this time it's in victory. This time it's in celebration. His way led him right down Main Street of hell so that he could announce to the devil and all of his demons that he, Jesus, was victorious over sin. He was victorious over the devil and he was victorious over death. When Jesus says he is the way, it doesn't just mean he shows the way. He is the way to God because he's the one who carried out God's plan of salvation. This is our Savior Jesus, who is the way to God the Father, the one who accomplished everything that was necessary for our forgiveness and for our eternal salvation as well. And dear friends, that is the truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. Not just that I'll show you the truth, I am 
the truth. Now think about this. The Old Testament, as we've talked about a little bit already, details, in amazing, uh, in amazing detail, it tells us what this Savior is going to do. Starting in Genesis, when God announced that this champion would be born of a woman that would come and crush the devil's head, then as you read more of the Old Testament, you hear that he's going to come from the line of David, born in Bethlehem. He is going to be noticed by all kinds of miracles, signs, and wonders that he's going to carry out. He's going to demonstrate love to the hurting. He's going to be betrayed. Even the Old Testament says he'll be betrayed and pay uh, the, the price 30 pieces of silver. Amazing detail. And Jesus fulfills it all, demonstrating that Jesus is the truth because God said all of these things were going to happen and Jesus accomplished every single one of them. All prophecy is fulfilled in Jesus and in his work of salvation. And then Jesus himself said things like, I'm going to be put to death and on the third day rise again. Destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it again in three days. And everyone was confused. What's he saying? But what he said happened. Because Jesus is the truth. And salvation is found in no other name than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the great I Am. What does it mean for you then that Jesus is the way and the truth? He's the only way to God. Now if you ever come to Racine, Wisconsin, I must warn you, there are lots of one ways. And it's confusing. If you've ever been to Madison, Wisconsin, it's the same thing. Lots of one ways. It's very confusing. And if you would ever find yourself going down the wrong way of a one way, this is bad. Okay? you got cars coming at you, and now you're worried and you're upset, and people are mad at you too. This is not a good thing to be going the wrong way. If it's that bad when you're in a car, what about our souls? Going down a wrong way. And that's why Jesus came, lived, died, and rose again to be the way, the only way to our Father in heaven. And he did that by forgiving all of our sins with his holy, precious blood, washing them away. And now he has given us access to God because he is the great I am, the way and the truth. And when Jesus speaks, he speaks as divine authority itself, he speaks as the truth. Which means that when your sins trouble you, Jesus comes to you with his word of truth. And he says, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your sins from you. And when those two nasty things that accompany sin, guilt and shame, when those things plague you, Jesus says, I took all of those on me, on the cross, and I hurled them into the depths of the sea, never to be seen again. So do not let guilt and shame trouble you either, because Jesus has removed those things from your life, and that, dear friends, is the truth. Going back to some of those things I asked you about earlier, who are you? And we're throwing out words like, confused which maybe sometimes leads to doubt 
Jesus comes to you and he says, if you're weary and burdened, I will give you rest. I'll remove the doubts. I'll take away the confusion. He does that through his word of promise, his word of truth. When you're worried and when you're fearful and you don't know what's going to happen, whatever the case may be, Jesus comes to you with his word of truth and he says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I've called you by name. You are mine. You belong to Jesus. And that's his word of truth. When you find yourself hurting and angry, maybe even angry at God, Jesus comes to you with that same word of truth. And he promises that he will calm your troubled heart, that he will take that anger away. And again, he does that through his word of promise, his word of truth. Jesus is the great I am, isn't he? He is the only way. He is the only truth. And he's also life. When I think about life, I'm the big 40 now. That means I'm old. See, you laugh because I know it's not true, although I feel that way sometimes. And so some of you have been on this earth much longer. You probably agree with this statement, though. It goes rather fast, doesn't it? Life is short. But that's not the life Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about life that he brings and life that he is. When did Jesus bring you to life? At the baptismal font? When with simple water in the word, your sins were washed away and God claimed you as his own. You were brought to spiritual life. We're getting ready for confirmation at my church back in Wisconsin, and I've tried to tell the eighth graders, your spiritual life began at your baptism, and look at how God has continued that journey for you, purely by his grace, that he has fanned that faith into flame, and when you're at your confirmation, you're going to confess your faith out loud and make promises to God, and it's really cool stuff. Because God, through Jesus, gives us life, because Jesus is the life. But we also know that there's more to it than that. We have this spiritual life now. Praise God, and by God's grace, we have this. And through word and sacrament, he increases our faith and our trust in him. He grows our spiritual life and maturity. But then he says, you know, this life is short. So don't spend too much time focused on it. But instead, be focused on the life that is yet to come. The life that Jesus earned when he walked out of the tomb alive. And that's why Jesus says, I am going there to prepare a place for you. And isn't that a place that we long for? A place that when we look at this world and its craziness, we say, Lord, maybe I am ready to go there now. By faith, we long for that eternal mansion that our Savior Jesus is preparing for us right now 
And when we celebrate the ascension in just a few weeks, we're going to celebrate that fact, aren't we? That Jesus is there now getting our place ready for us. By faith, we fix our eyes on that. On that eternal mansion that is yet unseen, but we know it will be there when Jesus calls us home. That is the life that Jesus is. That's the life that Jesus gives to each and every one of us. I am the way and the truth and the life. And we look forward to that mansion in heaven. When Jesus comes back the next time, the sky is rolled up like a scroll and there's the trumpet blast and all God's holy angels and this world with all its craziness is destroyed and we are gathered to be with Jesus. And then we'll get to hear that amazing invitation. Now come, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world, the mansion that I have prepared because Jesus is life. So I should tell you again, there's another reason that you're in good company here with these disciples. Not only are your hearts at times troubled and tossed around in the turbulent waves, and praise God, Jesus calms your troubled hearts through his word of gospel, but what else did Jesus say to them? You know all this. <laughs> you know the way to the Father, he says. You know all of these things. So it reminds me of when my kids sometimes ask for help with their homework. And I don't really know what's going on when it comes to math. Remember, I'm a pastor. I don't count or add too good. And so I look at their math, and I really have no clue what they're doing. But I'll ask them, didn't you sit through the lesson? Wasn't this all explained to you? Well, yeah, but I, don't, I forgot. I don't quite understand. Then they get frustrated, and then after a while, they, it, it comes back to them and it dawns, yes, I do know these things, they finally admit, and then they get back to their work. Isn't that how it is in life, too? We know all these things, don't we? And yet life knocks us down and sin gets in the way and we get confused and worried and anxious and all this stuff. And Jesus calms all these things with his word of truth and his word of life. And he says to us, you know all this. Praise God, by faith, we know that it's true. And think of those disciples, all the stuff that they witnessed. The feeding of the 5,000 comes to mind for me. Because after that miracle, how many baskets of leftovers were there? Twelve. How many disciples were there? Twelve. And I just have this picture in my mind of each one of them standing there holding their basket and going, oh yeah, I should have known. Should have known Jesus can do this. And that's how it is for us too. Jesus comes to us and he reminds us of all the things that by faith we know are true. And there he calms our troubled hearts, doesn't he? He calms our troubled hearts because he is the way and he is the truth and he is the life. And every time you come to this special place, that's what Jesus tells you over and over again. Every time you come to this special place, you're basically telling Jesus, Lord, I want to hear again everything that you did to save me. Every time you come forward to receive the body and blood of Jesus in the, in the Lord's Supper, you're saying, Lord, 
give me a taste again of forgiveness. Every time you sit down with your families and open up God's word and worship together as a family, you're saying, Lord, tell us again all these things that you did to save us. And every time you sit there by yourself, reading that word of God, page after page, Lord, tell me again everything that you did to save me. Remember, Jesus is the great I am. And by faith, you know that. So in faith, hold on to that. Cling to that and trust in that each and every day of your lives here on earth. Focused on that special place, that mansion in heaven that he is preparing for you right now. And as the disciples said, that'll be good enough for us. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.